0: I can't tell you how much I enjoyed saying touch them all. Way back and gone! Touch them all, Joe Maurer! And now these guys are making it relevant to this year's Twins. Now, our two resident hardball nerds will attempt to touch them all on the week's news surrounding the Twins in MLB. Here's Phil Mackey and Derek Wetmore. Hi, Touch-Em-Allers. It's Phil and Derek, and uh, we want to wish you a happy World Series season as we en- enjoy one of the, the great colossal matchups in World Series yeah. history through two games.
1: Sorry, you caught me off guard. That that wow. reminded me of those infomercials where you turn and look at the camera and it's like, oh,
0: hello, as if you didn't <laughs> expect that camera. Oh, hi, everybody. <laughs> hi, guys. Didn't see you there. I guess we could call the audience touchers, but that might be a little bit creepy. Touch-em-allers. We'll work on that. <laughs> I'll get back to you. And uh, we definitely both have some parallels and some uh, and some deficiencies that we've noticed between the Twins and the Astros and the Dodgers and other teams that went deep in the playoffs. So we're going to get to some of those things, watching the World Series through the prism of, uh, of the Twins and what they should do this winter. But let's start with this just for a few minutes here. The Rawlings Gold Glove Award finalists came out uh, late this week. Brian Dozier, one of the three finalists at second base in the American League, which is a little bit shocking to me because I think he's a great offensive second baseman and a steady defensive second baseman. But whether you look at metrics or just watch other second basemen, I don't think he's definitively one of the three best defensive second basemen in the AL. But you could split hairs there. That's cool. Brian Dozier, finalist. Byron Buxton, a finalist in center field. Not shocking. I think he should win it. I think him and Kevin Kiermaier, when Kiermaier is healthy all year, are absolutely the two best defensive center fielders you're going to find. And Joe Maurer snubbed a non-finalist at first base in the American League. Like, I think think he should have won it for one. But if you want to have the debate, well, he was a finalist, but, you know, um, I don't know, Carlos Santana and whoever else were just better. You You could debate it if he's a finalist. To not be a finalist? At first base for the Gold Glove, I'm struggling here. And I just went to go look up in case the eye test was was maybe uh, maybe you just get too biased when you're watching Joe Mauer play 162 games and you don't watch a whole lot of the other guys. No. But, uh So the eye test was definitely in favor of Joe Maurer. If you go look at a couple defensive metrics, let's start with UZR, number one in baseball among first basemen, UZR. Ultimate zone rating. Defensive runs saved. DRS for short. Joe Maurer ranks sixth among all first basemen. Joey Votto, number one, Carlos Santana, Mitch Moreland, Paul Goldschmidt, Anthony Rizzo, and then Mauer would be third among the American League guys. Yep. Um, I could go to a couple other ones here, but I'm just, I guess, I don't want to be Mr. Homer guy here, but how Joe Mauer isn't a finalist at first base is a huge Tra- uh, I was going to say travesty, but like there's way more important things. But it's like a baseball gold Glove right. travesty. We'll call it that. Right. Within the context of what we're
1: talking about. Yeah. B-R-U-T-A-L. Brutal. For Joe Maurer not to be in the top three. And Eric Hosmer, who had a down year at first base, to be mentioned based on yeah, reputation. what happened
0: there? He's ridiculous. Uh, Carlos Santana improved as a first baseman. I'll for sure give you that. Hosmer was a minus seven defensive run saved. 17th among qualified first basemen. And look. I'm a stats guy,
1: but I probably, and you can attest to this, Phil, probably more than most stats people, I think that there are some severe limitations in defensive stats that we just, we tend to be overconfident in like, oh, well, his UZR per 150 was 7.5 and the next guy's was 6.5. Exo facto, he was the better first baseman. Yeah. A, this is not that cut and dried. War is not that cut and dried. But when you look at uh, not only just the advanced defensive metrics, but even basic things like fangraphs, tracks, scoops. How many errors, basically, did you save your infield? Maurer was right up there. He wasn't number one, but he was certainly had a Hosmer. And then you're talking about things like, uh, I, I hate errors as a defensive stat. But Maurer, if you're counting based on errors, he only had two all year. One of them was a drop pop-up in foul territory. right? So I see it. He kind of had one. I think... When you combine those stats plus the eye test of watching all these first basemen, and I watch no first baseman more than Joe Mauer. Don't get me wrong; it's not like I'm taping Royals games so that I can then assess Hosmer's relative value to Maurer first base. Look, I, I'm not the perfect person to answer this I, question. I,
0: I actually did that for all 162. Okay, In I case want you want to, to go deep on yeah, that, I want just you let to explain. Know. I
1: actually need you to get back into spring training too to see like the relative difference between sure, all those yeah. games. Tiebreaker. I think that if you combine watching. Multiple first basemen play, and you know you see every f- opposing first baseman a couple times a year. I saw Hosmer play a fair number of games against the Twins this year. Joe Mauer flat out a better first baseman this year. There are three things that stand out to me about Joe Mauer. I'll run them by you, but maybe we just get off this because a I don't want to rant about it. B I just don't get worked up too much about the Gold Glove awards. I I mean I think it's an omission. I think it's a mistake to not have Mauer on there. I think you could. Make the case that he should have won it?
0: There's a lot of guys who who win it off reputation. I think Derek Jeter won one later in his career when like yeah. he was a totem pole sure. at shortstop. He
1: might have been the fifteenth best shortstop in the American league at but, the time.
0: And sometimes, you know, cause, cause what's the cause it's you divvied up now, there is a certain percentage of statistical value in yeah. the voting, right? I think but it's like twenty
1: five like, percent is based on stats. Like but s- major
0: league coaches vote yep. and and so what happens, I'll use Jeter as an example, and this happens. This is where guys get tricked with the eye test. If he makes that late in his career he he's playing shortstop. The Jeter jump play to his right. He yeah. backhands a ball and does the Jeter jump. Well, Andrelton Simmons plays that ball like a normal ground ball. Like he right. he gets over faster. He forehands it. it. Yeah, forehands <laughs> right. scoops it. Like looks yeah. at his watch and then throws the ball over. But right. it looked it looked like a more incredible play for Jeter because he's and, slower getting to the ball. And
1: there's the argument. And I don't know if this is working against Maurer. Truthfully, it can't.
0: But that
1: Jeter is the guy that you'd trust in Game 7 of the World Series with a ground ball hit right at him. So there's a certain element of value added to that. I get it. But where I think an Andrelton Simmons, or in the context of the Twins, a Byron Buxton, is somehow more valuable than the guy who's steady and will make the place within his range, is that they're getting to balls that other guys are letting bleed through the infield for a hit. And that happens multiple times per season. So I'll get off. I'll get off this soapbox here, but it's it's brutal that Mauer was not a finalist for the Rawlings Gold Glove. Three things that I think he really improved this year and are a great sign for the Twins. Who knows how long he uh, how long he hangs around? But he's for sure under contract for next year, 2018. There's the dive play where there's sort of that in between ground ball, you know, and it's for first times first baseman guys who haven't really played the position. It's kind of an awkward ground ball. Yeah, it's not that hard hit, and and maybe I could field it, and i got to trust that the pitcher is going to get off the mound and go cover. Or eh, is it far enough that Dozier can grab that at second base? Ah, I don't know. That's a weird read for a lot of first basemen. You see guys screw it up all the time and make the wrong decision. Or, with the benefit of hindsight, what was the wrong decision? I thought Maurer was excellent at that this year. That's one thing. Two, I mentioned the scoops. How many errors did he save Jorge Polanco this year? I can't count them on one hand. Uh, But it's non-zero, I'll tell you that. And then the third thing that really stood out to me about Maurer, you probably know what I'm going to say already, it's that pop fly in foul territory where Maurer's running with his head tilted back over his shoulders, watching the ball fly, and he catches it over his shoulder like a wide receiver. Maurer was so good at that play, stealing what I perceive to be extra outs away from opposing hitters that that helps the pitching staff over the course of a full season. I thought Maurer was exceptional at all three of those plays, I don't know what more you want out of a first baseman, um, but I promised I'd get off my soapbox, and here we are. Thirty <laughs> minutes later, I'm still ranting against over the shoulder foul. No, pop-ups. I'm with
0: you. Like so, he, he he should he should he should win the Gold Glove as a first baseman at the very least. He should be one of the three finalists in the American sure. League. It's ridiculous. Uh, I want to tell you based on watching two games of Astros Dodgers and observing the rest of the playoffs and last year and and so forth. There's a player on the Twins. I think. He's he's always been important, but I think he's the most important player going into next year on this roster. I'm going to tell you about that in a second, but uh, the brand-new 2018 Camrys are in at my favorite dealership and service department, Luther Brookdale Toyota, 694 on Brooklyn Boulevard in the Twin Cities here, and you can find all the information about these brand-new cars, sleek new look, upgraded technology, on LutherBrookdaleToyota.com. My family and I have been going to the same place for a very good reason for a long time. They're like family to us, so uh, you can get that same relationship, the same durable cars, the same experience that we've gotten for a long, long time. Luther Brookdale Toyota 694 and Brooklyn Boulevard. Here's what you might have missed on a recent episode of the Raised by Wolves podcast. When I watched Andrew Wiggins, I mean, not only did he look noticeably bigger, and I mean, just like he had a mass, and he looked like he even grew an inch or something, although I have no idea if he did, but just seeing him crashing the boards and, you know, going aggressively for those putbacks. I mean, there was really none of that passivity that people were, you know, complaining about in recent years, mm-hmm. and the fact that him and Jimmy Butler didn't seem to be awkwardly trying to fit in the same space. What did you see from Wiggins that might be a little different or encouraging in some way?
1: Yeah, I think I saw a lot of the same. Like, there was especially, like, one really, really nice uh, baseline drive where he just, like, tomahawked it in, uh, in the half court. Like, you thought that he was going to just take the three, but he waited for the closeout and just ripped into, ripped into the defense, and That was really nice. I think I still have some problems with his shot selection that that showed up in the preseason. He just, to me, it's about maximizing what you have on the team as a whole. You can find the Raised by Wolves podcast on iTunes or wherever it is you find your podcasts. Download and subscribe today.
0: So... A bunch of observations. I mean, there's a million things to talk about just from a baseball standpoint. Game two was one of the great wow. World Series games of all time. Yeah. Uh, just uh, the the Dodgers didn't have a non home run hit until I believe the ninth inning, tenth and, inning, I tenth think. inning. Yeah, so it Wait, was a two out single. You might yeah, have that wrong. But whatever. But like, epic game. Yes, it Listen was insane. To- as a baseball fan, it was my heart was racing for like an hour before I could go to bed after the game was over. And it was so fun.
1: As I like to say, and I know you're a longtime Cubs follower, as I like to say, that's the most fun I've had watching a World Series baseball game since game seven last year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> three World Series yeah, games people ago. People yeah. didn't like that. baseball has
0: been awesome for yeah. a couple of years now. Yeah. Uh, so Byron Buxton is super important to the Twins, Jose Barrio, super important. Like we could name all the oh, important players. Interesting. Okay. Jorge Polanco okay. might be the most important piece to the puzzle going into next season. When you look at the blueprint and the central pieces of World Series winning teams or teams that get really close, look at the shortstops and the productivity and and the things they're able to impact defensively and at the plate now across the best teams in baseball. Corey Seager back in the lineup now for the Dodgers. Carlos Correa hitting... Crucial clutch bombs all over the place and making slick, amazing plays at shortstop. Mm -hmm. Francisco Lindor for the Indians the last couple years, a team that knocked on the door in game seven of a World Series championship. Addison Reed. um, Addison Russell. I mean, I'm sorry. Addison Russell. You've got Addison Reed on the brain because you're. It's our reliever podcast, (laughs) yes. Uh, Although I'm sure Addison Reed could maybe uh, feel the ground ball if he needed to. I think. Not only is shortstop the most important position on the diamond, you could argue, just like anything up the middle, catcher, pitcher, shortstop, uh, up to center field. But the bar is going up and up and up for what shortstops are doing in this league. We thought we had a shortstop renaissance like 15 years ago when it was Miguel Tejada and Alex Rodriguez and Derek Jeter and Noma with the the Red Sox. And there was a couple other guys in there. The list of top shortstops is so crazy right now. And Jorge Polanco was so good in the second half. If he could start to emerge and fulfill his upside and play at his 90th percentile, um, I just don't think you see World Series winning teams with mediocre shortstops in today's game. I, it's It ain't going to happen this year. you got yeah. two of the best right
1: now. Yeah, You could say the same thing for catcher, but sticking to the Twins roster, because I don't think anyone's going to argue Jason Castro will develop into a top three catcher in the league. That's fine. And I think... I get hung up on Jorge Polanco. See, when you teased before before the uh, quick break that you said there was one player who's as important or more than anyone else, I was thinking through. I'm like, who's he going to say? And in my head, I thought you were going to say Borreos because you need
0: that top of the rotation well, I mean, guy. So obviously, you, you, could, pick hair, you could argue my point sure. on end. No, I'm not going to. I'm not going to. I'm not even looking for a fight as to who the most important player is. <laughs> I will fight you, though.
1: <laughs> Straight up, I'll let do me it. Hold
0: on. Let me continue real quick, and then you chime in. Okay. okay? I'm just going to go through a list of 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 the best shortstops in the game, or just a list of these. These are just offensive performances. There's a lot of great defensive guys here sure. too. Elvis Andrews hit 20 bombs and had a 344 weighted on base. His OPS was up over 800. 25 stolen bases. D.D. Gregorius, although yeah. he was, uh, well, he went back and forth second yeah. base and shortstop mm-hmm. for the Yankees. Um, Xander Bogarts for the Red Sox actually had more of a down year compared. Andrelton Simmons was an offensive contributor and one of the best defensive shortstops. Zach Cosart with the Reds, who yep. no one really talks about because the Reds are terrible, got on base at a three eighty five clip and hit 24 home runs. Yep. Uh, Segura with the Mariners. It's I mean Brandon Crawford with the Giants is yep. is a is a rock solid defensive shortstop who can give you something with the bat. So it's almost like point guards in the NBA where you look around and you say, oh, like if you're a Wolves fan. Oh, Ricky, well, like Rubio. Ricky Rubio. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, and yeah. Jeff Teague, right? right? If you're you know Pacers, Hawks, Wolves. Yeah, you go twelve or fifteen deep between Chris Paul and Steph Curry and James Harden and so forth, Damian Lillard. So it's kind of a renaissance right now in baseball.
1: Yeah. I think that leads perfectly into my point about Polanco, which is I hate to say it, I don't see him in that category. And more to the point, I don't see him emerging into that category. I'm a big Jorge Polanco guy. After a couple of months when he was hitting terribly, I, I was like throwing my hands up. I was like, what's going on? This guy put up good minor league numbers. He showed impressive poise at the plate in the big leagues at age like 22. He looked like he belonged well before he should like look like he belonged. And here he was, one of the worst hitters in baseball. I could not figure out what it was. What's going on here? Where's the bat? And on top of that, he still do not really trust the glove and the arm what's going on? Well, then he went on a tear. He and Byron Buxton, you know, rose like the Phoenix um, from the ashes and really carried the Twins offensively down the stretch. It was one of the best teams in baseball without its offensive superstar, Miguel Sano. I like the bat. I'm not going to be cooled on Jorge Polanco's offensive game, but I just saw too many questionable instances this year where I watched Jorge Polanco make or not make a play, and I thought, you know what? A big league shortstop makes that play. I don't know how often that happened for you, but it was at least a dozen times for me that I thought whether he got credited with an error or not, sometimes I just flat-out disagreed with the official scorer's decision. And other times, yeah, okay, that's not an error, but go ahead and make that play. I didn't see that from Polanco. I still think he's a second baseman. I That's just... I'm not trying to be down on him. I t- I tend to try to look at a player and say what are his strengths rather than pick apart his weaknesses. I think we do too much of that. And with all that being said, I don't see Polanco as being like a top ten MLB shortstop defensively. I still think that there's the bat there, and this Brian Dozier question maybe comes to the forefront again this year. You've got two really two guys who could really be good offensive second baseman in the big leagues. Two guys who you think can play second base. Brian Dozier, you know, can play second base. And then one guy who's playing shortstop who I don't think belongs as a shortstop in the big leagues. Maybe I'm being too pessimistic. No, I mean, it's, it's fair. But, so, do you turn over? Do you go to a Nick Gordon? Something like that. Maybe down the line, maybe we're talking Royce Lewis, whatever, uh, Wander Javier. That's not a right-now conversation. But I'm curious, if the Twins are going to contend in 2018, A is Jorge Polanco, your shortstop, B... Man, is he that middle-of-the-infield rock that you're talking about that all these good teams really have? Yeah, I'm not for the sure. record,
0: I'm with you. I don't know if he is. I sure. just know that he's, he's if, if he doesn't become that, it's going to be hard to compete with some of the other teams that have that. Super important. Something else I was trying to envision, especially at the end of Game 2, when you're watching these Rocky Balboa-like haymakers being thrown back and forth between elite relievers and best lineups in baseball— Two-run deficits, wiped away by bombs, right? Puig, bombs. Just a, a record number of home runs in a World Series game in that game, too.
1: That Puig bomb was the best, by the way, because everybody
0: else was bat-flipping, and Puig he locked the down and sets it down. And ordinarily, he's bat-flipping on warning track <laughs> fly balls, too, so right. it was a change of pace for him. But I kept trying to think, if Kenley Jansen is having a hard time you know, keeping himself under control and throwing pitches past some of the best hitters in the world, the Houston Astros, and on the other side, if Ken Giles throwing 100 miles an hour is having a hard time you know, figuring his thing out and giving up home runs and warning track fly balls, what does this look like if Alan Busenitz is trying to get these outs right. right now? What is, if you put Ryan Presley out on that mound in this situation, facing these same hitters, how would that end up if... Kenley Jansen and Ken Giles can't even get out of the jam. Yeah, well... So the Twins have a lot of work to do this offseason.
1: I like where this podcast is going. I want to bring it to an area of comparing and contrasting. Hey, here are the two World Series teams. There are a couple teams that were close, but we'll ignore them from this conversation. How do the Twins compare? Um, But a quick note that the good news for the Twins and Twins fans is that it's probably not going to be Alan Boosnitz or Trevor Hildenberger in that spot because... If the Twins front office is a regular listener of the Touch em all podcast, They've they will already have already signed Wayne
0: Davis, actually. Wayne
1: Davis is the guy that you yeah. want in that spot. But I, to underscore that those are two of the very best relievers in baseball, two guys that you would trust 100 times out of 100 in that spot. And it's not bulletproof.
0: It's not perfect. Yeah, nor should it be against oh, those hitters. Yeah. Uh, I, I did have someone. I, t- I tweeted that out. Uh, during during the game when all the home runs were happening, and someone responded, I think I would trust Hildy. Like he's, you know, he's making a case for Trevor Hildenberg. Oh, uh, and I and I said, listen, I love I love me some Hildy, but I don't know if Hildy's getting out of this thing one two three. If Kenley Jansen can't, if if Ken Giles looks like he has urine running down his leg when some of these Dodgers hitters are coming up to the plate, all due respect to uh, to Hildy. I don't think that's a fair point to make.
1: That's right. Bring in Wade Davis. I like Hildenberger, too. Bring in Wade Davis. Uh, so bullpen aces is a big differentiating factor between the Twins we saw this year and some of the best teams in baseball. Hell, you could make the point. It's the reason that the Twins didn't go farther in the playoffs. is that the Yankees had a Super bullpen that they got to deploy and shut things down after Luis Severino failed to get out of the first inning. So bullpen ace is a big differentiating factor. Go sign Wade Davis. I got a column coming up soon too about like, how could you build this thing if you're the twins? Yes, you got to focus on starting pitching. So the column isn't just going to be make Barreos a reliever. But in addition to focusing on filling out your starting staff, you also have to have an eye towards this sort of top end bullpen if you're the twins. If you want to be in the same conversations with some of the Astros, the Dodgers, the Yankees, Uh, the Indians, teams in that mix, if you want to be there, you got to do some of the things that they're doing really well right now. But to pivot too, there, there are a couple other differences that I see. um, and, And actually one similarity, I'll start with the similarity because the Astros were terrible for years, lost 100 plus games, multiple seasons in a row, finally have turned it around. And now they look like they're, they're here for good. Now, I'm not comparing the relative talent levels. I think that the Astros are step ahead of the twins in that regard on the position player side, but specifically on the pitching side. But that's the sort of the framework that the twins are going with right now, right? You're bad for a long time. You get some high draft picks. Carlos Correa and Byron Buxton were the same year Um, night. The twins got Rice Lewis number one overall last year. He'll probably be an impact player at some point on this thing. But like, that's the blueprint that the Astros did to get here. And the Twins are hoping to track along that same one. By contrast, the Dodgers, the Dodgers did not follow that blueprint at all. Yeah, yeah. But the Dodgers just have a great team. Justin Turner turned into a superstar. That's, That's excellent. A, for how them. about that?
0: That right there. It's huge. The Twins had interest in Justin Turner. It was like three off seasons ago. Actually, it might have been like four or five years ago when he was on his way out of the Mets organization because he's been with the Dodgers for four years now, and he's just slowly gotten better and better. And for people wondering, how does a guy like that go from, you know, age 27, mostly in irrelevant wet newspaper rolled up as a, as a bat utility player, to being one of the great hitters in the league and the third best postseason OPS of all time? It's all about the launch angle. I mean, this is a sorry about this this diversion here, but it's fine. But I think it speaks to how organizations and players can change their fate. Pretty much overnight. He went from eight years ago, early in his career, a 60% ground ball rate offensively. Now it's 30. Mm -hmm. So he's completely overhauled his swing. He's just swinging for towering fly balls, and it's working. Yeah. I mean, he and Josh Donaldson are kind of the
1: poster child of this approach of, like, don't hit it on the ground. You can't hit a home run on the ground.
0: And uh, Don't the, the Dodgers batting cages in their minor league system? I saw this on Twitter. They have signs up that say no ground balls ever. Oh, okay. I'm fairly certain that's a thing in the Dodgers organization. Hey,
1: if that's your organizational philosophy and you're focusing on that, then that could lead to a guy like Justin Turner breaking out. So anyway, just to get back on like how the Dodgers built this thing, it's like, well, okay, Clayton Kershaw helps. That's a good starting point. Spent big money on Kenley Jansen to re-sign him. you got a pretty good bullpen. You filled out the starting staff, whether through a trade of a guy like you Darvish or even just some signing. They spent a lot of money on Rich Hill um this this offseason in fact he was kind of the top free agent available um but like you look around the diamond my god Cody Bellinger has emerged as a superstar I mean Jock Peterson had a breakout year a couple of years ago he's kind of more of an afterthought now in that lineup but Yasiel Puig's a great player Corey Seeger, you mentioned these young players that coming up and like oh wow that's a nucleus that you can be afraid of and they have more guys In the minor leagues that are going to start to surface into that conversation probably in the next year or two. But, I I mean, there are two distinctly different paths. And if you're a Twins fan looking for a model, the Twins are much, much more Houston Astros than they are Los Angeles Dodgers.
0: Yeah, you know, the Astros once four or five years ago stripped their payroll down to $11 million in the middle of the season and they went in with like a 30 million dollar payroll and stripped it down to 11 million dollars in really? the middle of the season. Oh yes. They traded away a couple of the veteran guys who yeah. made some money. Jeez. And and of course like they had to explain to fans why and how they were losing 113 games a season and why you have to trust the process like sure. the Philadelphia 76ers have been saying for a long time. And so I agree with you on the matching blueprints if the the Twins aren't going to go out and spend 300 million dollars on payroll obviously. Could they stand to spend a little bit more?
1: Of course. Yes, and they
0: should. But the lack of a salary cap means that the bigger markets are going to have more revenue opportunities, more TV revenue coming in, et cetera, et cetera, and they're just going to have more funds to spend. And every owner is worth $2 billion, so that cancels out. Sorry. But the Astros' brilliance is building 80% of their team, basically, from within, drafting, developing, international free agents, or international signings when these kids are 16 years old, maybe trading for hidden gems in the minor leagues or guys like Ken Giles, who are pretty good relievers with Philadelphia, but there's another level to get to, and the Astros knew that. And then they sprinkled in the seasoning. That's when they start to go after the Josh Reddicks. Okay, now we'll bring in the Brian McCann over here. Mm -hmm. Make that trade for Justin Verlander over there. That's right. And boom, now you're sitting here. It's a five-game series to go as we record this with the series tied at one apiece to yeah. win the championship. And
1: Justin Verlander's more steak than seasoning, but you had to be in that position to even consider adding another steak to your plate. Um, in fact, you remember Dallas Keuchel was outspoken at the non-waiver trade deadline saying we should have done more. All they would got was Francisco Liriano to add a lefty to the bullpen. Well, all right, go prove it. Go win a bunch in August, and we'll hope that an ace like Justin Verlander is available August 31st. Sure enough, they add him. So you, you have to put yourself in that position, and then when you're there, you can't be trigger-shy. On the payroll front, I found this uh, this website, stevetheump.com slash payrolls.htm. He tracks uh, MLB opening day payroll. Steve so the Ump. Huh? Just consider the source that uh, – that I know this isn't a USA Today. I'm not on – because uh, these numbers actually disagree with what uh, that website Spotrack that I'll use for like football and hockey and stuff. Um, their their payroll numbers were way off um, these numbers here. So I'm using this source just to give you a rough idea, but consider the source. The Twins, according to Steve the Ump, ranked 22nd in payroll at $108 million on opening day this year. So they're shedding some payroll, and I but I fully expect that number to go up. I think we we sort of agree on that. That it should go up. There are yes. some some big numbers coming off the books. Whether it's Glenn Perkins, probably Hector Santiago, I would I would have to imagine, um, and things like that that give you a little bit of flexibility. Even with Joe Mauer's salary still on the books, you got some room. Even if you're just going back up to that 108 million figure. But now I think you're the Twins that are in a spot. You made the postseason. Now, come on. Take yourself a little more seriously this winter. Spend some money this offseason, you can see that number go up. Um that that ranked 22nd, the Houston Astros ranked 18th at 124 million. Wow. Now, I don't think that's like a huge uh like unreachable jump because the Cleveland Indians, Colorado Rockies, Kansas City Royals, they're all in that 124-140. I, I,
0: I want people to remember that. All of you payroll whiners out there, many of whom probably don't listen to this podcast because i feel like we've cultivated uh a tribe of people that think beyond like payroll and and pound their fist on the desk but the best team in the world if the houston astros are and maybe it's the dodgers in which case they spend the most money and i'll get to that in a second um, so yeah i mean like obviously i'm not saying it's irrelevant sure. but the houston astros you said our bottom half of the league in payroll.
1: Yep, they rank 18th at 124 million. That's like 16 million more than the Twins spend,
0: and are still managing to pay. They're still managing to pay a lot of money for some players, but they've been smart about the cultivation and the, and the development of other places on the roster. Um, that just goes to show you, it's more about your creativity and your curiosity as a front office and how you build your core, yeah. and how you develop the 120 to 150 young players in your system in any given time period like well, can you can you squeeze an extra five big league players and two superstars out of that group by just coaching better and scouting better and yeah. and cultivating better you're not yeah. going to you're not going to fix a flawed organization through free agency you're going to get a bunch of Ricky Nalascos the third best starter on the market for 15 million dollars like that's not how you're going to fix it so and that's it's interesting super helpful if you're the Indians if you're the
1: Astros to have Francisco Lindor, close making close to the minor, major league minimum. Have Carlos Correa. Have
0: uh, is Jose Altuve getting paid yet?
1: I don't think he's getting paid.
0: Uh, not to that extent. I think he makes about. Se- I want to say he makes like seven million dollars. Okay. I think he's uh, still looking, in arbitration. Looking
1: this up. Uh, according to Baseball Prospectus, Jose Altuve made four and a half million dollars this year, and he's got a six million dollar club option next year. I wonder okay. if they'll pick that up.
0: Yeah, okay. yeah, that'd be a tough decision this <laughs> offseason. They're going to have to roll up their sleeves he's, and make some tough calls. He's pretty short. Yeah.
1: I don't know. As my <laughs> girlfriend pointed out, he like he's like obsessed with sticking out his tongue and spitting.
0: Those are two things that a lot of players on the Astros have in common. That was into. also a great humble brag. What, that I have a girlfriend? You have a girlfriend, yeah. <laughs>
1: great. Well, let's all celebrate that fact. <laughs> I think that there is this, uh, like, we got to get past the dollar figure and talk more about like spending efficiency and say that a guy like Yuri Guriel and Correa and Altuve and all of these guys not making millions and millions and in some case tens of millions of dollars, you can just afford to go out and be better on the free agent market. You can afford, and that's the position I think the twins find themselves in here the next three, four years, Miguel Sano, Jose Barrios, Byron Buxton. Uh, Jorge Polanco, if you like him more than, than I just, um, I kind of just reigned all over his parade, but Eddie Rosario, Max Kepler, these guys are all young. We haven't even talked about the wave of pitchers that I think we both kind of expect here in the next year two years to have an impact on the staff. It's a good time to be able to go out. And if you want to call it waste money or spend it inefficiently, that's fine. You don't always have to spend every dollar efficiently. If you're the twins, you'd like to. Because you're not going to compete with the resource-rich Dodgers, who, by the way, according to SteveTheUmp.com/slash/payrolls.htm, uh, spent two hundred and forty-two million dollars on their opening day payroll. Far and away, number one in the world this year. You're not going to compete at that level. Like, you can't the, afford to pay Matt Kemp and Andre Ethier all this money, like whatever,
0: you know. The Carl Crawford thing is the best. Like, exactly. Like. Carl Crawford, I think, is being paid $25 million to watch the playoffs at home for the last two years. Well,
1: and here's the thing, is that I think if you are the Twins in 2017, heading into the 2017 season, it makes all the sense in the world to not spend that marginal dollar. Don't try to outbid the Dodgers for Rich Hill. Are you kidding? That's not a logical strategy if you're looking at the five-year health of a franchise. But now— Now that you're an 85-win team knocking on the door of the postseason, consider yourself toe-to-toe with the Yankees, even though I think the Yankees outclassed you headed into New York. If you consider yourself in that same conversation, now is the time to take yourself a little bit more seriously, spend some more of that money. There's no payroll in baseball, and I'm not saying you have to spend with the Dodgers or double your payroll overnight, but go ahead and take yourself a little more seriously. Add a player or two in free agency that could really help you, and then... At the trade deadline, if you're still right there and you, you know there are some shortcomings, don't be gun-shy. Um, I, I think they played 2017 right, but now that we have more information, now that we know more about where they are on the wind curve and where they expect themselves to be relative to other World Series teams, I think this is a time you can go out and be competitive, even yep. without the payroll resources.
0: Yep, and we're going to do a lot more stuff about what the Twins should do during hot stove season and this, you know, this offseason. Who... Maybe more specifically, once we get into the actual rumors and reports coming out, instead coming. of who we think they should sign, That's like coming. we did with the bullpen episode, like based on reports, who should they sign? Should we just replay the Wade Davis episode
1: when free agency opens, and then maybe somebody will pick it up as a report, even though it's like pure
0: out of my hat?
1: Well, it makes sense.
0: Like they're 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 one of the only contending teams that doesn't have that ace reliever. But I will say. The best path to getting that Justin Verlander type, that top-of-the-rotation ace pitcher, if you don't have one from within yet, isn't to go spend $150 million on you, Darvish, in free agency. That would be stupid. He might blow out his arm tomorrow, and now you're stuck for you know five or six years on him. It's to wait until... Or you could do it maybe this offseason if you could... It's to use your trade assets, because I think... If you get that's and that's where if you can get really good at just continuing to put more assets in the cupboard, you can keep if you can draft and develop and you always have a really strong top ten list of prospects, sure. you don't feel as uncomfortable trading from that cupboard. Cubs, Yankees We'll just I, we'll just draft more. We'll just exactly create more, right. more yeah. another Royce Lewis,
1: another uh, Eddie Rosario, whoever it may be. Another Nick Gordon, Stephen Gonzalez, Fernando Romero. And suddenly, you're not quaking in your boots at the trade deadline as a Twins fan saying, Oh, God, we can't give up one of those guys who I've yeah. never seen play in the big leagues? Yeah,
0: yeah you can. They'll just find another right. guy. There'll exactly. be another one. Yep.
1: Hey, this is Derek Wetmore. Quick interrupting this wonderful Touch em All podcast. Two requests for you, audience. First, if you have Facebook, which the statistics show you do, Go to 1500 ESPN Twin Cities and like our page. You'll get all our stories and all that good stuff. Second, if you'd be interested in a Facebook live streaming of the Touch Them All podcast, let us know on Twitter, at Phil Mackey, at Derek Wetmore. We would love to hear from you.